welcome to Season 3 of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share inspiring stories with artists and art professionals on a wide range of topics about life and work. We share ideas on our inspirations and the influences that affect our lives. I sit down with artists and thought leaders across the diaspora to learn more about the things that make them tick, the ideas that they are passionate about, and the ways in which their work seeks to impact our society in a variety of ways. Join us as we continue the journey of sharing the interesting and inspiring stories of some of today's most dynamic artists and art professionals in the industry. Let's go! Helena is an interdisciplinary artist working across collage, assemblage, video, performance, and social engagement. Her work integrates archives, somatic studies, and dialogical practices, creating overlooked narratives that amplify BIPOC and femme bodies. Her work is in the permanent collection of institutions, including the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the Museum of Fine Art in Boston, RISD Art Museum in Providence, Rhode Island, and the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem, New York. Helena is preparing for Expo Chicago, the annual fair that brings the city's art community together when we sit down up high at Silver Arts, the shared studio space Helena is currently working out of that plays host to dozens of emerging artists living and working in New York City. Let's dive into this next episode with Helena Metaferia. I'm so happy to have you join me on the show. Thanks for having me, Shere. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and learn a little bit more about your work and share with my audience some things that I've learned about your practice. I feel like the first time we really dug deep and really worked together and kind of got to know each other more was when I did an interview with you for Artnet. Oh, yeah, that was a fun project. We were focusing on social practice and teaching social practice and also what that means for my interdisciplinary artwork. Yes. So how long have you been working in social practice? Uh, I've been working in something community-oriented that engages art for as long as I have been a maker. My first hand in art was in painting, and I discovered that as in high school, majoring in undergrad. By the time I got to graduate school, I was working way more outside of campus and more in the expanded field. So working in performance, working in video, working um, alongside other artists in collaboration. And that quickly evolved into me almost necessitating people to be a part of my practice in some capacity, even if that capacity means a sitter situation where they're involved in some of my artworks in that way, or if that means a, a situation in which we are, um, sorry, I got distracted. It's okay. <laughs> Should we just pause that right there? No, no, we can keep going. Sorry, I'm sorry. We're, um, we're doing like a podcast, so I just want to make sure it's like super quiet. You could, <laughs> no, you can chill, but if you wanted to use the phone or no, talk. Okay, okay, thank you. Sorry. No, no worries. Um, where was that? Where should I? You talked about, you were talking about the, the community oriented nature of your practice. Okay. Yeah, I have a community-oriented nature part of my practice. So even if I'm working with a sitter or if I am engaged with another person in some dynamic way, whether that's a performance, I always want to make sure people are involved. So I think as you were describing that, I was immediately 
considering the fact that I know you come from a sort of political family and you have a background, your parents and your family has a, an extended background and your father taught political science, your mother was an activist. Do you think that that has impacted the way you think about art as a, maybe as an engaging endeavor in and of itself? That it, it's not just about you, but the art is more an extension of your ideas? I think about being politicized from a young age as encouraging a certain perspective and a viewpoint, yes, and so that informs content. It also informs the choice and mediums in which I operate. So I tend to work in mediums that have a, a strong feminist history, such as performance and has a lot of interventionist connotations to it. Uh, there's also collage, which inherently critiques the media in which it draws upon. So I think it had me align myself with artists who maybe would identify as either radical or radicalized because of the upbringing that I have. However, somebody asked me recently if I would be interested in just making things that aren't so deep, aren't so political. And to that, I would say I'm always a formalist. I really do enjoy color for color's sake. I enjoy form, I enjoy shape, I enjoy play, I enjoy actions as art. And so eventually I like to evolve my practice where I can pass the baton and somebody else can take on that heavy lifting of political artwork. But for now, I haven't found the ecosystem that we are able to create art in, whether that's the general world that we live in or the art world that we live in to be fair and equitable and just. And so I do find that my platform becomes this voice for an imagination of what it would be if there was a much more harmonious world in which we are able to participate in. Interesting. Um, I feel like there's so many layers that I could sort of um, want, want to dig into based on your response there, but I want to talk about something you said in the earlier part of that response, which was artists that have been categorized or identified as radical. So who are some of those artists when you when you when you share that? Well, I'm thinking about everyone from my my direct lineage may include Haridina Pendel, who is a painter but took to performance and video when she made Free White 21, which spoke about or was a perspective on her being a curator, a former curator at MoMA and the racism she experienced there. And so she turned from painting, which was already had these political aspects to it, to a much more direct medium because, and that's the beauty of performance and performance for video is that there's an immediacy there. There's a, there's language there. There's something that can be much more confrontational than I think something that's two dimensional can be. And so I look at her as part of my collective lineage of these sort of interventionists. I look at Adrienne Piper and her work in institutional critique as one of the people who foregrounded ways in which performance and video and works on paper can all intersect to create a challenge, not just a challenge of the world itself and all of the systemized you know, systemic oppressions that exist within it, but within the space that we are making art within. And so I would consider her part of that trajectory or lineage. And there's so many more. Um, Hannah Hawk from Bearden for collage. I'm interested in both their practices and, and, and ways in which they are using the medium to elevate uh, marginalized people. 
and yeah. Yeah, um, I need to kind of catch my thought really quick because you mentioned something earlier about someone who asked you a question. Okay, so earlier in the conversation you talked about someone who had recently asked you a question about your work and if it would get to the point where it wouldn't be so deep or what would it be like to not be making work about such deep issues. Did you feel like that that question was quite confrontational? I've heard it a few times in different ways of saying that. I do think that it's a healthy question. You know, as artists, when we put work out there, we are inviting an audience, and an audience will have their opinions, and some of it is just basic, basic questions. Why this? Why now? Why you to make this now? And so a part of my practice is not just in the studio, it's also finding a ways to contextualize the work through language and answering questions. And maybe when people ask those questions, they're also asking of themselves, why do I need to be a witness to this? Why now? And that, I think, is a much more interesting question about, not just about why I choose to make what I make, but how the lens that you bring to engage with the work that I make, that becomes a part of the work as soon as it leaves the studio. And so I'm really interested in audience and questions because it probes me, but it also, much more importantly, I think, probes them and, probes, and we probe each other. And that's why we're all here to experience culture and cultural, contemporary cultural production. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a collaborative, it's a collab, much more collaborative process than I think the lone artist in their studio really, you know, that's not really what, what's happening here. I think that it's, there's so many ways to be an artist and a lot of it is about putting your art out there and tackling some of these questions. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about the community sort of based element, the community based element of your work and how you engage with communities wherever you are and in, in the spaces that you're in. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm definitely an introvert extrovert, like I'm both. And so for me, I need both in my practice. I need time to research and process and be with archives and be with my own self and my body and my thoughts and my experiences and to make sense of that. But I also feel that it's the work isn't done or complete without the viewer and the viewer's participation in some element. So when I do a performance, oftentimes I'm breaking the fourth wall and I'm engaging with the audience, even though they know I may not engage with them. They are gonna become participants if they, are, if they dare to volunteer to be a witness and to hold space, they may be implicated somehow in the performance. And when I do my collages, for example, a lot of people don't know that I make those collages with participants of workshops who, and these are private workshops that are not for the camera, but they are um, held at institutions around the country in, in, in collaboration with organizations and institutions, and they're for BIPOC Femmes. And so when I am you know, after I'm done with the workshop, which is about usually about three hours long, uh, it's a performances protest workshop called By Way of Revolution. I'll photograph them at the end, maybe even the next week um, after, and they I have their permission to work with archives 
that are based on their lineages and histories of activism that they identify with. And so when I work on that series, you know, the, it's not complete without not just the photograph of another human, but their participation in a very vulnerable experience, the social engaged workshop. And then also this long interview process where we kind of go through the archive together essentially. And they trust me and my, my, my team, my research assistants, et cetera, to uh, do a deep dive and to kind of uncover um, histories that predate us that may have informed our ability to take up space in the here and now. And so that project may look like a collage that's two-dimensional, that has these different components, that you know may be an extension of my own idea, but really it is entirely a collaboration. And so my practice does have that community element, and it is what makes the work the work. Yeah, um, I'm thinking a little bit about how you know you choose to work with certain folks in certain communities. You mentioned the archive and tapping into someone's history and their legacy and the things that, the things in the places where they feel they're engaging with activism. How do you identify those people? That comes about through invitation. Oftentimes I'm invited to do these things um, because I've done one before. <laughs> and so somebody will see that and say, I'd love for you to do that in my community. How can we make this happen? And then there's this whole question around, well, who wants to do this work with us? And so there's months of planning. Oftentimes I'm in collaboration with organizations who are helping to make that happen. However, I had to have done one for others to invite me to do it. So the first one I did was in 2018. I was an artist and resident of critical race theory at Michigan State University for nine months. And I taught one class a semester, my top performance and social practice. But I was also invited to do an exhibition and they had a generous, beautiful archive uh, in the special collections on what they call radicalism. So everything from the left to the right. And so I was really intrigued with that archive. I thought it was something I wanted to spend time in. We were in a very heightened state politically in the US with that current presidency. Black Lives Matter was taking off. I was also going through some personal things that made me want to become really connected to those current events in a deeper way. And so I was also being simultaneously invited on campus as many artists and residents get invited when, they, when you're a visiting professor in these places. places. To do, to do some sort of activity, do an arts activity with my, with my organization, do something with my organization. And all of a sudden, I've been getting these invitations to work with BIPOC Femmes. And I was like, what would I wanna do in these spaces? What is the message? What is the, the engagement? And I thought of performance as this really beautiful through line between these activisms of movement and resistance because there is something very theatrical, there is something very, um, there's a lot of spectacle in it, in, in performance, and there's also a lot of spectacle in protests. And I thought about what if we could engage in a way where we would do it away from the camera, so most of the time when there's socially engaged practices, there's some sort of witness there that's like an almost intrusive witness, which is this camera that often gets used for for funding purposes, for portfolio purposes, for all kinds of other purposes besides the participants in that present moment. And so I just, and then we all have our cell phones and we have all of these things in which we want to like share our experiences. 
But I was thinking about how to become really vulnerable with these women I had just met in a short amount of time because I knew I would have a limited time. I think it was like two or three hours that we were meeting. And I was like, what's the way that I cannot just connect with them on this cerebral, intellectual, academic level, because we're in a university setting, maybe we can connect on a more heart level, a more vulnerable level, and how would we get there? And so then this became this question of trust and trust building. And so in the workshops, there is these moments of vulnerability, oftentimes there are tears or there are story sharings. There's like almost like a sister circle happening, and I live for that. I enjoy it because that's also what renews me in real life. I am held by my sister friends. I am held by my family. Um, And so recreating that almost like family-like connection in a short period of time is the art in itself. And so, yeah, that's something that I've started to do. And once you do one, people start to recognize that. Even though it's not something I promote on my website or all that stuff as readily, you know, people do know I do some sort of engagement work. And so if there's a need for that kind of connection and community building, and if I feel like I have the capacity to do it, I'm open to doing that kind of work. Nice. So um, it's we're here, we're at Sober Arts, um, where you are an artisan resident and have been for two years. This is your second year here. And... Um, you know, it's a really interesting open space where you get to work. It's a free studio space for a year. And there's a lot of incredible artists here. But correct me, were you part of the cohort that sort of determined who the new artists were going to be? I had no say in that decision. But <laughs> I personally had no no say. But um, there was an incredibly, it was a robust application process. And... I think there's like 1,200 applicants or something wow. like that for 22 slots. Oh, my God. So I thank God I don't have to make any of those decisions because that's not something another artist like myself should have to do. There's too many friends out there who I would want to have this experience. But it's been a really great opportunity. I feel like I got to know the New York art world in a different way doing this opportunity. It's a new program. Um, so I've been a part of the second and third year cohort. Two of us stayed on to be a part of the third-year cohort from the second-year cohort, and I think they're making that tradition as well, giving a couple of people that opportunity to stay on. And it's really been amazing. I, I think for me, the obvious is space. I just needed space to do this work. I was getting invitations to do my first, well, not my first solo museum show, but a, a major solo museum show for me at Museum of Fine Arts Boston and um, a whole bunch of other shows. I made my work for the Charge of Biennial here. So I was able to do all this work. But I needed space, and I did not, at the time when I got this residency, I just didn't have the ability to um, participate in the New York real estate to the degree where I can get the amount of space that I needed for the amount of money I had to spend on it. So free residencies are great for that reason. Um, The application game is fierce, but I apply and cross my fingers is how I think most of us do it and just keep reapplying. Um, and yeah, I think what, what's been the best for me though, in addition to space and kind of getting an understanding of how the, the eco, the New York art world ecosystem works because we have so many different visitors here is going back to that through line of just community building. Like the other artists here, both cohorts have really made it for me. I mean, somehow the judges got it right. They just picked some amazing folks. We've all got along 
and I don't just say that just to like do some PR on this place, but I actually made some really great friends. I had some friends that were already accepted that I already knew and deepened those friendships, but then just made some really cool connections with folks I didn't know. And the quality of work is intense. And one thing I would say as an artist is in order to survive this field that a lot of people don't really understand, it's so precarious. There's no clear career path here. The way that I survive it and work through it and continue to thrive in it is community of, of other people that either arts workers or artists who um, have become friends along the way. And, you know, we trade information, you know, practical resources, all of that stuff. But mostly it's like somebody else who gets why I stay up here until like 3 a.m. on, you know, <laughs> any given day of the week, you know, to get something done. It's not just because I procrastinate. It's because I love that creative hour, you know, although I do maybe procrastinate a little bit. Can you stay here until 3 a.m.? You can stay here 24 hours. People do do that. So, um, yeah, and then there's somebody out here with me, and then if we both live uptown, we can, like, share a cab together, it's great, or we can take the train together at a decent hour, you know, so I just feel like, or they'll, like, ask me if I want some food and we're working really late, and then go grab food for each other, like, those are the kinds of things that, I, it's just, like, a level of care and, um, that camaraderie, and I think some people have it in their, like, graduate experience, right? Like, they went to graduate school and they, you know, but we have student, uh, we have artists here that haven't gone to grad school, that have a very different trajectory. So you're kind of getting that experience, that camaraderie. And if you didn't get that in your grad program, you might find it here. So I'm not saying that to advertise the space. I think it's true of any great uh, studio program is you'll have camaraderie. Yeah, I think what's interesting is what you said earlier about like the New York art scene, because first I was wondering like how long have you been in New York? But then, as you as the as the response kind of unfolded, I was thinking about the fact that when I look around at this cohort cohort of Silver Arts and the previous year, it's such a dynamic mix of artists, and mm. I think it's really reflective of how dynamic New York City is, mm-hmm. and what well like what incredible well of talent there is that's already here. Yeah, but I mean, going back to understand the New York art scene part, I don't think for artists, and this is not true for maybe arts workers or you know yourself as a writer, I think for artists there can be a veil of um, a path, like it's, it could be pretty opaque, like people may not understand how to navigate these spaces. Even if you went to a certain school or did a certain, you know, you know, it, there can be like a barrier for information mm. and for access. And I don't, it's just, it's, I think it's purposeful. I think that there's like a lot of artists and it, I think it's just this idea that, you know, it's not, it's, like I guess I said before, it's not just a clear trajectory. So the ways to and you don't and you don't learn these things in a school program right like how to for example how to navigate the gallery system or you know how to prepare yourself for a museum show or how to start taking on assistance if you're in that place or like these kinds of nitty-gritty like how to run a business we're not really educated in that and then a lot of people don't want to be very transparent about their business (laughs) with people they don't know so it's a lot of like kind of figuring things out as you go, but when you have community and then when you have people like like 
Glenn Lowry come, came to both years of our, you know, like the director of MoMA has come here and we've had amazing, you know, like really just stellar visitors um, yeah. from all parts of the ecosystem. So that's everybody from curators to writers to collectors to galleries and they're either coming to, you know, as an organized event or to talk to like another, you know, artist. And so you kind of get that from just the experience, if that makes sense. Um, totally. Not advertising silver art, but I'm just saying like that's the benefit of being in New York in these kind of studio programs. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, I, I love that you're just sharing your experience and what it's been like for you here. Because one of the, I was talking to an artist recently who we, we were sharing, I mean, I was asked. so this was an interview, and I was asking her, what does she think is, like, what, in her opinion, what's the most important thing that she needs in a residency? And, you know, she talked just about space, just about the space to make the work. It's like sometimes you can't, even if you have the, the square footage where you live, you need something outside of that. Mm-hmm. You need a space that's completely, um, how, what do I want to say? It's neutral, mm-hmm. right? It's not where you sleep. It's not where you had an argument. It's not where anything happened. It's a neutral space where you can create freely. And that's important. And so I'm sure that being able to have that space, but also the people around you makes this experience even more more rewarding. And it's like, you know, somebody to celebrate with, somebody to laugh with. And you'll have your friends outside of residency programs for sure. But it's also like if you're new to the city, a lot of people moved here just to come to Silver Art from across the globe, like from other countries, you know. So it's like a touch point. And then you build your community here and then elsewhere as well. And, um, yeah, somebody asked me like recently, like, because I go to a lot of art events and shows and support friends and stuff. And they're like, Oh, you're always going networking. And I'm like, I don't, I've never gone networking. I don't understand what that means because I'm just supporting folks in the ecosystem. You can't do this, this kind of work without community. You just can't. It's just too insular. I think that's why they call it an art world because a lot of people don't understand it. It's not part of this like mainstream, like most people don't want to do the things that I do, <laughs> especially the times of day that I do them or it's just the sacrifice that it takes. But here, there's value. Other people understand it. And so I don't. I never look at it as a networking thing. I always look at it as, you know, a chance to show up for others as they show up for me. And, um, and to, to uh, you know, a place where the, the cultural production at the, at the intense level in which we're all working here, you know, it's value, you know, and, um, and that's, I wish it was more common and we didn't have to call it an art world. I wish it was just like, just normal, <laughs> you know, like this is just what it is. But I think we still have a lot to do in terms of reaching um, arts and education more broadly. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think community is everything. And it's interesting to think about the difference between networking and building community. I feel like in a city like New York, a place like L.A., sometimes people think that, you know, your relationships and the connections that you're building with people are transactional. Mm-hmm. And there's, for a lot of folks, that is the way that they're moving. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, they're able to make strides in their career using those methods. But I think for other folks, it sounds like yourself included, it's really about having the kind of people around you that sustain you and uplift you. Yeah, I think that's that's true for me, for sure. And there's many ways to do any, any given thing. Um, 
but I'm not here for the accolades or money or the, you know, I'm here just because I love art. Like I love it with a passion that I've, that's been consistent since I was a young person. Um, and it helps me make sense of life. It helps me make, orient myself in the world. And um, other people who have that love, um, those are my people, you know? And, and so I, I gravitate to that. I love that. I think this was a wonderful episode and I'd just like to round it out with one other question, or maybe one or two. So it's the beginning of April, Chicago Espo is coming up, you'll be going. Anything that you're really excited about with regards to the fair? I'm excited to show at Expo. It's my first time um, showing at Expo. I have been to the fair before, but it's my first time as a presenter. Uh, I'm showing with Art at a Time Like This, which is a nonprofit um, based in New York City. And we are um, focusing on a, a all-women feminist booth um, here with a panel discussion at 21 Centuries Hotel. Um, and that has to do with climate change and all forms of activism that can help us think about um, our natural resources. And it's a fundraiser as well. And then I'm also showing work with the Mark Strauss Gallery. And so uh, I'm excited to be out there in the city. And I love Chicago. I love it for all its cultural resources. And yeah. And thank you for such a great episode. Yeah, thanks, Shadow. <laughs> That was my episode with Helena Metzaferia. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Helena for joining me on the show. And it's a wrap, folks. That was our episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected. Conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes are recorded wherever in the world that I find myself. May that be New York, LA, Miami, the continent, the Caribbean, Europe, Wherever it is that I find myself, I sit down with folks who are thought leaders, critical thinkers, and interested parties within the arts and beyond. These episodes reflect the times that we're living in while also adding some commentary to the social, cultural, and political issues of our world. Depending on where I am in the world at the time of our recordings, you will hear the sights and the sounds of our local environment throughout the U.S., West Africa, and beyond. I'm your host, Falashadi Logandudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.